Your Bibles, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. The title of our message this morning is Daniel 70 Weeks Prophecy. Daniel chapter 9. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we have together. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word and that through the example of Daniel and even understanding uh, prophecy within the Bible, Lord, that it would cause us to be like Daniel, a godly individual that is seeking your face on behalf of his nation. And so, Lord, we are here in this time and place, and Lord, you have appointed us to live here and now. And I pray that we would take advantage of that, Lord, from the perspective that we can learn through the scriptures as godly men and women took advantage in seeking you in the midst of difficult times. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless this time, that you would speak to us. We pray that you would open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel is broken up into two parts, chapters one through six, give a chronological account of what took place, starting with Babylonian captivity. Daniel's chapter seven through 12 are more of these visions that God gave to his prophet Daniel in the midst of what was taking place in that 70-year period of Babylonian captivity where the nation of Israel would find themselves um, being spanked by a godless nation. And so awesome visions and, and just interpreting dreams and faithfulness was seen on the part of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you get to chapter 7, 8, now we're in 9, where in the middle of what was going on in that 70 years, God was revealing things behind the scenes to Daniel, his prophet, and he writes of them and he tells us of them. And so that's where we're at, smack dab in the middle of that second part of the book of Daniel. So notice with me Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is in the midst of what's taking place after Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he goes to the Medes. And that's who would take over ruling and reigning. Daniel is still faithful in that economy with that different government set up. But he's reading, he's studying the Bible. And he comes across Jeremiah's prophecy that the nation of Israel would be stuck in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel's right bumping up against that 70 years. He's not there yet. But he's bumping up against it, and it's about three to four years before that would take place. 
And so through that, it causes him to do something. The Bible is about one quarter percent prophecy. And so prophecy is basically, it's foretelling and it's foretelling is the gift of prophecy. So if anybody's ever reading from the word of God, the, the gift of prophecy is going forth because God's word is prophetic. So the gift of prophecy is taking place as we share the Bible, right? But prophecy is always also foretelling. It's telling of future events. It's telling of things that will take place, not yet. And so Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah and he comes across the section that says the nation of Israel will be in this Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And as he reflects, he's like, wow, we're we're almost there. Notice what he does, starting in verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes. So what this causes Daniel to do is get serious about seeking the face of God. And he's going to seek it specifically on behalf of his nation and the people of his nation. So in our vernacular, he would be seeking it on behalf of believers, Christians, within this Babylonian captivity. And Lord, where are you going to take us after this? What's going to happen after this? And so he begins to seek God. And, and the seriousness of his seeking God is with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. It's not just, yeah, I'm just going to shoot up a prayer to God right quick. I'm just going to talk to God for a minute. No, he's serious about it. He's going to press into prayer. He's going to seek the face of God. Verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession And said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, To our fathers and to all the people of the land, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. So, In seriousness, on Daniel's part, in seeking the face of God on behalf of his people, his kinsmen, his tribe, and Israel and Jerusalem, he identifies with the people. He doesn't say, God, look at your wicked people. God, look at how bad they are. Oh my gosh, can't believe it. They call themselves believers. God, no, he says, Lord, we. Lord, we. He identifies with with the people and with the sins of the people, though Daniel hasn't committed these sins. Daniel has been nothing but faithful during this Babylonian captivity, has he not? God has used him tremendously in this period of time. And yet Daniel is able to recognize, God, we're not doing too good. We've got away from your path. And Lord, your righteous judgments are perfect. He doesn't indict God. He recognizes that the spanking that the nation of Israel is receiving 
is because they've gone astray. There was idolatry and they were not faithful with the clear command of God to let the land rest on the seventh year. So that many years would transpire, 490 years would transpire and they would not let the land rest. And God wanted the land to rest. They were greedy. God said he would give them a double portion in the sixth year so that you can let the land rest. Don't plan on it. Don't have any vineyards, any crops. Let it rest on the seventh year. And they were greedy. And they cultivated in that seventh year. And they did that over and over. And God said, all right, now you owe me. And he used the nation of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar specifically, to spank his kids because they were out of line. Daniel, in recognition that that time period is coming to an end, identifies with the people first, but he also does not indict God in the process. And I think that's very important, that we understand the nature of God and that God's judgments are perfect. He goes on in verse 8, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been, have, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his word which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind And brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem your holy mountain because of our for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us now therefore our God hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications and for the Lord's sake cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate oh my God incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And so as Daniel continues on in his prayer, he's doing it based on the nature of God, not on the nature or the basis of his righteousness identifying with the people he's able to see lord we've made a mistake 
We've gone to idolatry. We've not obeyed the clear commandments of the word. And now we're in this mess. And so, God, we are appealing to you based on your nature. Lord, these are your kids. You love your kids. As the end of this 70-year Babylonian captivity is coming, Lord, we're just seeking your mercy. We're just asking for your grace based on your character and who you are. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, this is one of the places where it says angels fly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And so it is in Daniel's understanding as he's reading the scriptures that he presses into the Lord And it is in that context that God sends the angel Gabriel to Daniel to give him one of the greatest prophecies in all of the Bible. The 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. And so it is when we see, recognize, and realize where our country is, what is our response to that? What is our, you know, what goes on in our heads? Are we so overwhelmed with life that we don't even have an opportunity to pay attention to what's going on in our nation and the people around us? That caused Daniel to press in. It caused Daniel to seek God's face on behalf of his people. And God is going to show up in a mighty, powerful way through this prophecy. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined, notice, for your people and for your holy city. As Daniel is praying for Jerusalem, for Israel, for the people, God's people of the nation of Israel, the angel is sent and he's going to give him the history for the nation of Israel. 70 weeks are determined specifically for your people and for your holy city the word weeks is heptad it's a it's a form of sevens so 70 sevens are determined for your people 70 years of seven are determined for your people specifically it's kind of like uh we use the word um A dozen to mean 12, a unit of 12, decade to mean 10, 10 years, right? And so 70 years of seven are determined for your people. Notice, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That is something yet future, isn't it? Hasn't happened yet. Jesus completed some of those things, accomplished some of those things for those who would come to faith in Christ, 
here on earth, but those things haven't happened in their entirety. And remember, this prophecy is given specifically for your people and your holy city, specifically for the nation of Israel and the Jews specifically. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What is that? 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. God is letting Daniel know exactly when Messiah will come to the earth. Not guessing, not, oh, kind of, sort of, around. He has given him the specific day that the Messiah will come. If you take the prophecy given in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, to restore and to build the temple and the gates, Nehemiah goes to the king Artaxerxes and he asks permission requests, specifically papers for permission to be able to go and begin to build the walls for the city of Jerusalem. That date is recorded in history. If you begin to count the days and you reach that number, 173,880 days, specifically from that day, you come to the triumphal entry of Jesus, riding on a donkey, coming into Jerusalem. And it would be the only time that Jesus receives worship. Every other time in the Gospels when people want to make him the king, when they want to say, whoa, this is, you know, take the throne right now, let's do it. He would say, it's not my hour. It's not my hour yet. But on that day, the religious leaders would say, Jesus, stop your disciples. Do you hear what they're saying? They're screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus said, if they stopped crying out, the rocks would cry out. Jesus coming after his ministry and looking on a mountain, looking over the city of Jerusalem, he would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, if you had known even this your day, speaking of that day, and now because you don't, a partial blinding will come upon the nation of Israel. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 give us the history of the nation of Israel. Past, Romans 9. Present, Romans 10. Future, Romans 11. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Right here in Daniel, we're told that there is a 70-week prophecy, 70 years of seven for the nation of Israel. Jesus comes riding in in the 69th year, 69th year of this prophecy. There's one week left. He goes on, God goes on to give him the rest. In verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, speaking of the time that the Messiah would come, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood and till the end of the war desolations are determined. This is a reference to 70 AD and the nation of Israel be destroyed. Verse 27. Then he shall commit, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the 70th week, the final week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall one, shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so we have a 70 week prophecy. 69 weeks are completed. We have the 70th week that we're waiting for. Nobody knew that there would be a 2,000 year gap in between the 69th week and the 70th week. But as you read and study the scriptures, because the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah in the first century, God gave them what's called a partial partial blinding that they would not receive it until the 70th week. Until that that final week comes to pass. And we will see that final week take place in the tribulation period. The rapture of the church will take place. One will come, the Antichrist, who is speaking of here in verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the final week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and bring abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 24. And just an interesting, awesome prophecy that God gives to Daniel for the nation of Israel. Now, what does that have to do with us? A few things. I think first we can learn from Daniel that through studying the scriptures and seeing the prophecy that was in his lifetime take place, it caused him to seek the face of the Lord, specifically on behalf of his people, specifically for the nation of Israel. And so prophecy should move us as well to be involved in the lives that are present in front of us on their behalf. We should pray for people that we love. We should pray for the people that we come in contact with. I think another thing that it did was it's showing us his importance is on the eternal. As much as he was in pain, as much as it was difficult for him to live during this time of Babylonian captivity, he cared more about eternal things than he did the temporal things. And he looked to God. He didn't insist on his will. He didn't demand that it had to be the way he thought he could figure it out. He was open and available to God to be able to hear from God and then move and act according to what God gave him. And that's not what I'm seeing today in our culture. I'm seeing people who are insisting upon their will on earth. I always wondered how Matthew chapter 7 was going to be fulfilled because to be honest with you, let me be honest, to be honest with you, the, the way that that was going to be played out was difficult for me to see early in my walk with God. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 7 that not many who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. For many will come in that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons 
in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus replies and says, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So religious people, people and and Christian religion, it's not just rank religion, prophesying, casting out demons, doing many mighty works. And he says, "I, I don't know you. We've never had a relationship. I don't know you. You can do a lot of things in my name, but you're doing them independently of me. I don't know you. Jump on over to Second Thessalonians with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Specifically speaking to this section of Scripture in Daniel chapter 9. There is one coming, Jesus, or the Bible is letting us know. So the way this is going to work eschatologically, eschatology is simply the study of the end times. And God has given us these prophecies in the Bible, number one, so that we can know that God knows what he's talking about. He sees the end from the beginning. But I think also... that we can understand that there's work for us to do. In the midst of seeing prophecy and seeing things that are happening in our very lifetime that God is fulfilling in scriptures, you know, what do we do with that information? A lot of people, a lot of Christians, um, they're either confused by prophecy or there's so many different views on prophecy that they just say, ah, I'll just let God kind of just, you know, iron out the wrinkles when we get to heaven. I just want to be faithful with what he's called me to. Well, we're called to be students of the word. We're called to know that this stuff is on the horizon and it's happening. And what I see in our culture right now, right now, and I'm talking right now with Supreme Court and all of this stuff that's going on in the news, this, even this weekend, I see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of emotion. And it's never the pastor's responsibility to come behind the pulpit and, and be political. But when morality hits politics, it gets into a realm that's emotional. And when emotions take place, emotions go up, judgment goes down. And so we have to be careful to make sure that our message is the gospel. Our message that we want to share with people and proclaim is is foundational. It's the thing that we need to be about. And I see a lot of Christians get, especially on on social media, they get very political and they're winning all these political wars or battles and they're losing the war. They're losing the big picture of what God wants us to communicate as his mouthpiece. But that doesn't mean that we can have to shy away from current events that are taking place right now in politics well because it's political so i don't want to get involved well you need to be a light in the midst of darkness you need to be the voice of reason in the midst of chaos and confusion and so there's definitely trepidation you know we we touch these things very carefully but at the same time guys this is 
happening right now. So the, the difficulty that I had early in my walk with God and understanding, Lord, I'm not understanding how there's a group of people that can name your name and do many mighty works in your name and yet you're going to declare to them that you didn't know them. God, I'm, I don't, I'm seeing that clearly where I saw it fuzzy back then. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's pick it up at verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's a reference to the rapture of the church. The Holy Spirit dwells within each believer. In the, at the rapture of the church, in that sense, our influence in the world is going to be removed from the world and Satan is going to have greater access to people. Verse 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That right there is bad, but the next verse is worse. It's one thing to be deceived by Satan. It's an entirely other thing to be blinded by God. Notice the next verse. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If that is not prophetic to the times in which we are living right now in America, I don't know what is. You and I cannot be so dogmatic that it has to be our way. We have to be open to God and available to God to let him communicate to to us the truth that he wants to reveal to us. And we want to let him lead us and guide us and walk in obedience to what he's revealing to us as opposed to being so mad and angry at the institutions of this world and what's taking place and it's not what my ideology and it's not what I agree with. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful when we insist that it has to be this way. Whatever you feel about the current political climate is fine. But are we open to God? One of the biggest reasons that Kavanaugh is not wanted in the, white, in the uh, Supreme Court is because he's a conservative. And as a conservative, he and the public is afraid that Roe versus Wade will be overturned, abortion on demand. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, 
politically or not, you know that God is against abortion, the taking of an innocent life. It's included in the Ten Commandments. God has incredible grace and mercy and compassion for people who have done things in the past, who look to God, and he wants to heal those broken scars and those broken wounds. But best believe that you're not going to convince God to get on your side, that God becomes pro-choice. So whatever your ideology is in that vein, politically speaking, as I stand behind a pulpit, God's opinion matters more. And so... If, if you watch what's taking place in our world, the fact that the lawless one, the Antichrist who is going to come and is on the horizon is going to come with lying signs and wonders, that's nothing in comparison to God saying, I will give you what you want. I will give you what you insist upon. If you want to be blinded, here you go. And if there's a group of Christians that think that this can't happen to me, then I point to the nation of Israel as exhibit one, partial hardening and blinding came to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, for 2,000 years. May we be very careful, the ideologies that we hold to, the beliefs that we have, because what we're seeing take place right now in our world and in our culture, specifically in America, is scary times to be living in. But nonetheless, we see that God is on the throne and he's right on time. None of this could have happened, this revealing of the Antichrist, until the nation of Israel was back in the land. And we have all of these prophecies to show us, wow, God really knows what he's talking about. May 14th, 1948, when the nation of Israel was once again brought into the land of Israel and became a nation, that prophetic time clock for God started again and only then did we have the potential for this stuff to be able to take place and so if anything for us it should cause us to look to God and in humility and say God I don't have all this stuff figured out and I don't know exactly what's going on but there's a lot of angry people out there And unfortunately, there's people that are calling good evil and evil good. And so the only way that I'm truly going to be able to have clarity of this stuff is to be in your word and to hear from you. I cannot figure this stuff out by myself. And God wants to lead us and guide us in that. And so we should be in prayer for our nation. And we should be in prayer for the rulers of our nation. At a minimum that God would surround them with believers that would be able to guide and direct them. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on right now. For us, that we wouldn't insist that it has to be the way that we think we can figure things out, but that we would be humble enough to acknowledge and admit, God, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on and I need you. I need you desperately to be able to navigate through all of this stuff. I mean, we can bring it back to current day life right now, what we struggle with. But guys, we can't struggle to the extent that we can't care about where God has put us at the time that God has put us. Acts chapter 17, God says that he predetermined, pre-appointed the boundaries of your habitation and the times of your existence, where you would live and when you would live. You are here now. That means something to God. And so God wants to use you in this dark, dark, confused world and society that we lived in 
to be a light. And don't get sidetracked in the politics of junk. Your message is simple. Tell people that there is a God in heaven that loves you. And he proved it by dying on the cross for you. That's your message. You get mixed up in a political world and you will be, I don't know, chewed up and eat. What is it? Chewed up, chewed and spit out, chewed up and spit out. Um, And then you come across angry like the culture. Why are you mad? Like, why are you mad? Everybody's mad. Your message is simple. It's the cross. John chapter three, over and over and over and over. I mean, in that whole chapter, just a beautiful chapter where Jesus is speaking to a religious leader who is clueless. And he says, as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that he would draw all men unto himself. That's how God has chosen to deliver the world <clears throat> through the message of the cross. Paul would write, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul would write to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first and to the Greek. So don't lose sight of what our message is. Don't get sidetracked with winning these battles and losing the war. People's souls. Who cares if people are are this or that or have this title or that title. God wants to build an army, one individual at a time. An army of warriors that would fight on their knees. Seeking the face of God. And then those spheres of influence that God gives us as people come into that sphere influence that person with the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. If we get sidetracked in these arguments and we get crazy and, and, you know, one-on-one conversations, family members, sometimes friends, close people, you know, we we can do that. But don't ever lose sight of what message God wants you and I to declare. It's the message of the gospel that God sent his son to die on the cross for a lost world and that as people look to that sacrifice and they receive that into their hearts, into their lives, then God promises that he'll begin to transform us from the inside out. It's a simple message, but it's a powerful message and your intellect is not gonna win people to heaven. Your winning arguments politically is not going to win people to heaven. God's not trying to make good people better or bad people good. God is in the business of making dead people come to life. Nobody can do that. The message of the gospel is the only thing that will do that. Father, we thank you for your word. We recognize, Lord, that through prophecy, we have the ability to know the future and what's gonna happen. That should bring us great comfort to know that you know what you're talking about. And Lord, as Daniel was contemplating through the scriptures that that 70 years was going to come to an end, he got on his knees and he prayed on behalf of his people and his nation. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from Daniel and that we would pray about the people that we come in contact with to declare to them the message that changes lives, transplants hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that beat after your own heart, God. May we never lose sight of what our message is for your glory 
In Jesus' name, amen.